Lifestyle choices and environmental factors impact your brain health and the physiology and psychology of your mental health. When you're ready to turn your brain on to get your game on, listen to In Your Head Radio. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. Well, thanks for joining us today. We've got a great show. I've got Tracy Cromwell with me today, and she's got a story all in her own. Back in 2006, her doctor told her she was headed towards a future as a type 2 diabetic, which is pretty startling, and that she had to start making better lifestyle choices. She had been a yo-yo dieter, as we all have probably at some point in our life, and this was a wake-up call that she needed to to figure out her path to wellness. Now she's in her 50s. She's healthy and strong. She takes on century bike rides. She eats in a way that supports her body and finally feels good in her own skin. You know, that journey also inspired her to go back to school. She's received her health coaching and nutrition training from the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, as well as Precision Nutrition, where she studied a variety of dietary theories and practical lifestyle coaching methods. She received her personal training in weight loss specialist certification from the National Academy of Sports Medicine. She's a busy lady. She's also written three books. The first was One Crazy Broccoli, My Body is Smarter Than My Disease. And it's an interesting collection of true stories of people sharing what they went through with their disease and how they, they recovered. The second book, What's Left to Eat, is a cookbook that gives a lot of experts from around the world, their recipes, nut-free, dairy-free, sugar-free, wheat-free, gluten-free, egg-free, soy-free, GMO-free, and delicious. She's just recently written, written a book, and we're going to talk about that book today, and it's your personal journey with food, a roadmap for the confused and a frustrated dieter, and it's an interactive book that will help you go down your own personal journey with food. Um, you'll be, you know, we all have to understand what's influ- influencing our relationship with food, and it's a lot more than I thought. Tracy, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me, Lee. I'm really excited to be here and um, excited to speak with you today. Well, you know, and there's a lot to talk about when you talk about a relationship with food, because growing up, you know, we we all use birthday cakes and sugar that's that's what we get when it's our day and we carry those those thoughts with us as we continue to grow and i mean i've worked with clients and you know i've told them well they have a goal you know i'm going to lose i'm going to lose 30 pounds great that's great are you going to change your diet oh well you know kind of but I can't give up my fried chicken. (laughs) And I'm like, well, yeah, you you probably could give up your fried chicken, but it is hard. I say that lightly, but I do know it's hard. So talk a little bit, you know, in your book, you talk about, you got to get ready to start that journey. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's sort of, you know, for me, it was, is deciding that it was time to um, realize that what I had had been doing to my body wasn't working for the way I, that, that would benefit it the best and to becoming open to looking at that and then being open to, um, and respecting the, you know, the adjustments I would need to make. And it wasn't easy at all because, 
you know, there were relationships with certain foods that meant a lot to me. Like you mentioned, you know, the cake or celebrating around food and how was I going to live my life without those um, staples there? You know, how was I going to give up those things? And um, when my, my brain learned, though, that on the other side of those foods was really the celebration, being with family. It was about being with friends, um, community. And it didn't necessarily have to be about something that was going to injure my body or keep me down the path of prediabetes to type 2 diabetes. I could make that modification and, and change the focus of the importance of the situation I was in, if that makes sense. So um, once I got on board with that uh, and my brain bought in on that, it allowed me the opportunity to try, <laughs> try new things try new behaviors. Well, you said, you know, once your brain bought in on that, did you feel like your brain was pushing back? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it does. Yeah, I think, too, you know, we're creatures of habit and and making changes sometimes, at least for me, it was, I didn't want to have to change. My mind didn't want to have to change. I, I firmly believe that it thought we woke up every day, we're breathing, so we should be okay. Why does, why do we have to change anything? And um, and I, I think too, is I just didn't n know what it felt like to not feel sick, to not be addicted to certain foods. And when, um, my mind allowed me to try, I, I finally just said, we're not dieting anymore. We're, we're just going to try and figure it out. It eased up on me and, and it, it didn't, it, it said, okay, we can learn, we can do this, you know, kind of thing. So have you, had you dieted off and on your whole life? Oh my goodness. It started, my dieting started probably my, my senior year in high school. Um, I never really had an issue with weight until then. Um, and that was when, that was 1984, 85. And that's when that whole thing of eat a lot of pasta, eat potatoes, eat all of that, which I was doing. And guess what? You know, I started putting on weight. So then I started, you know, um, not eating. Um, I started figuring out, you know, what was wrong with my body. Obviously they're telling me to eat these things and something's wrong with my body. And then I started getting a really hostile relationship with it because it wasn't performing like I thought it should with what I was being told. So I started yo-yoing, you know, up until gosh, even in the discovery of trying to reverse my diet, my pre-diabetes. So that was, probably into age 44, you know, 10 years ago, when I finally, <laughs> finally, you know, figured it out. Well, you know, now that you have, I know it's your goal to share that with, uh, with other people, because it mm -hmm. is doable. And, mm -hmm. you know, food is so essential to our well-being. It's our foundation. And when you have to make change on a foundational level, it truly is hard. And I think, you know, the brain loves movement. The brain needs to move. And aerobics, you know, mm -hmm. complex movements, um, that activates the cerebellum in the brain. Mm -hmm. And because the brain's getting that feedback from the joints, the muscles, the tissues, all of that. And the brain is learning from that. So, I mean, it, we, on so many levels, exercise and diet are so good for us. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, you know, and as a trainer, too, I, you know, 
we we know we we can't exercise ourselves out of a bad diet or a non I like to say the word non-supportive diet. Um, and that's what I used to do. I would pound myself really hard. Um, you know, and I looked really, really good, but I look back at those photos and I realized inside I was not doing very well, you know, and, uh, but what, what changed for me was I realized that whenever I lost weight, I really didn't know why I had lost weight. When I gained weight, I really didn't know why I had gained the weight because I was completely disengaged from the process. It was sort of like, I just got to lose this weight. I'm going to do it. Then when I got there, I didn't know how to live there. I didn't, I didn't have, know how my mind should function. I didn't know really what foods to eat because I had pretty much dieted, you know, low caloric, um, probably a processed diet pro- product or a, a supplement. Um, I was one of those in the nineties that took the one supplement that, there was um, a lot of problems for people. Um, it was taken off the market because of what it was doing to people's hearts and things like that. So when I re- whenever I did lose the weight, I didn't maintain it because I hadn't. My brain hadn't learned along the journey. It hadn't connected the process. And also I was doing it in a way that wasn't sustainable. So so what happened this time was I I thought, hey, I just need to go ahead and do a little bit at a time. Um, the other concept I I like to work with my clients with is that we we put our super sleuth hat on and have a fun time, you know, looking for the clues. And so then 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 all of a sudden then there's an inquisitive aspect to it. What can I find? You know, what makes me feel like this or what makes me feel like that? And therefore, food journaling isn't more. It it becomes more of a okay, what's this look like versus, oh my gosh, I can't believe I ate this or I can't believe that I did that. It, it, it's more about we want to figure out the trigger. We want to figure out the relationship with the food, the addiction to the sugar, whatever it might be. Um, but be more like we're a student of ourselves and we're just, you know, we're just learning. And the result of that can be weight loss. And then my brain really calmed down. It didn't worry about a goal of losing 10, 20 to 50, whatever pounds I had decided at that time. It was more about, oh, let's learn. Let's figure this, you know, maybe I should listen to my body. (laughs) so, So that transformation of the way I looked at things um, helped immensely. Well, you know, I I really liked there was a diagram in your book and it it was titled Life Radar. And it looked at so many things that impact our relationship with food. And, you know, the first is our home environment. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And that was one thing, you know, when I came home from the doctor and she said, you know, you can change this. You just need to eat more whole grains. And off I went. You know, <laughs> I was like, ah, just eat less, you know, eat more whole grains. And I went into that pantry at home and there were cookies, there were chips, there was refined this and refined that. My husband loved making pancakes and big breakfasts, and which I would always force myself to eat, even though I had always felt awful afterwards, I didn't know any different. I would just eat it out of obligation and didn't want to say no. 
and really had no connection with it. But yeah, um, the home environment, the support of the home environment, um, you know, do you have your home set up for, um, to support you? You know, if you live alone, is it supporting you? How can you create a home environment that will support your goal? I mean, it's harder when you don't live alone because if you're going to change your your diet, your eating habits, your style, do you still have to cook for four other people that aren't changing? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> One thing I learned, and this works really well, is I've learned to cook to the minimal, and then people can add, you know, so I'll, I'll make a you know, a main meal, but I do very minimal spices. And then on the table, I put all sorts of different spices so they can add, if they want hot chili peppers, if they want more, a little more salt, if they want, you know, this or that has eased up a ton of that stress um, of that. And the other thing that I did too, is I started to, with me too, it was, I slowly, like with the white rice, I slowly started adding brown rice in the white rice. You know, because I figured I had to change my my taste buds. My palate had to change, too. Same with, um, oh, I love pasta. Oh, my goodness. So I I would start integrating the whole grain pasta in with the regular, you know, refined pasta so that my taste buds could start acquiring the change. And then as I did that, the kids kind of, they accepted the mixed mix, you know, and then they accepted the brown it was really interesting. So we kind of did that crowding out is what we call it. Just a little bit, you know, start p- putting in other things without that feeling of a deprivation. I'm going to take this all away from you. You know, um, that helped it, a lot. <laughs> I think you hit a really good point there because when we feel like we're deprived of something. Mm-hmm. Then yep. we get into that those negative thoughts and, mm-hmm. you know, I need that. Why am I not having that? I really enjoy that. And anytime we feel deprived, we react negatively. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, nobody wants to go on a diet. Diets now are, you know, it's like a punishment, really. And so it's like you're in, in you're in a, oh, what's it called? Time out, you know, and you can't have all these things. You can't do all these things that you, you used to do. Um, and one thing I wrote in the book, too, is the definition of diet. And really, it is just what anyone consumes, that's on a daily basis. So everyone is on a diet, everybody. And it's just different things that they eat. And so once I got that around my head too, I thought, oh, okay, that's fine. Um, it took that weight off of my my mind as well to simplify what diet really meant. It just means what you consume daily. So, And you're right. Everybody does that, you know? Yeah. So yeah. how much did you, you talked about how you changed your home cooking style? Mm-hmm. How much education did you do with your family or did, were you just very gently leading them down the path? It was pretty gentle to be honest. And, and then when the biggest thing I needed to do, and it was interesting was for some reason for me to um, feel I was worthy of change or taking care of myself. I needed that diagnosis and a note from the doctor you know, for some reason, I just didn't have it in me at the time. And so when I went home and I told them that they all wanted to be supportive of me. So, so again, it was just a gentle change. We tried new things. 
um, my daughter who wouldn't eat broccoli, she finally started eating broccoli. You know what I mean? It was kind of interesting, but we, we gently modified and started trying new things. And, and what was fun as well was the goal was to go to the store and find something we've never had before, something in the produce section that we never had before with no commitment that we would like it or not. We just, you know, started trying different things and, um, and it worked. It worked out really, really well. And, you know, I'm happy to this day. I, I see my son who's 31 and my daughter's 28 and they've never, never dieted, never had a challenge with food, um, weight management, um, they, they, and I, I feel like I broke a chain of behavior that, that could have passed on to, to them if I hadn't figured it out, you know? So that was really rewarding as well in terms of how it affected the family. My husband was able to get off, um, you know, some medication because of it. Um, you know, so it, uh, it, it was interesting. It was like a ripple effect and we made it as positive as possible and uh, so I, I do not regret that diagnosis at all. You know, at, at the time I did, but when I look back, I, 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 I'm a mentally um, in a better place. Um, I, I, I have a much different relationship with people and with food and everything um, with the growth that I went through because of it. Well, it sounds like it was a blessing for you and for yeah. your family. You kind of got yeah. a double yeah. dip of that. And yeah. when your family, for me, when my family benefits from something that I'm doing that I think is a healthy thing, it's just like icing on the cake. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and I think back, too, is I, I wouldn't be doing this career had I not had that happen. So it's really interesting. Um I just remember how challenged I was and how frustrated and how depressed and how I thought I was such a terrible person. How did I let this happen to myself? Why did I lose weight? You know, why, you know, did I treat my body so badly? This was basically the, what they said happens when you're, you know, heading into your forties, it's all over, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and that's where my head was in. And, but this process of, of, modifying my relationship with food also created a supportive relationship with myself of honoring myself, which then, you know, went into the family. So. Well, food is such a, you know, it's part of our culture. We have customs that involve food and it's, it's such a big, big part of our lifestyle. And that's why I really, I liked, you know, the life radar example in your book, because you inc you included finances, you included creativity. And a lot of times people on a limited budget will tell me, I eat the way I eat because I, I can't I can't afford organic. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. I can't afford that. I can't afford that. And unfortunately, you know, ramen noodles, I eat a lot of those in college. Uh, me too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and pizza. <laughs> yeah, and all of that which really isn't good for us, but it's so red it's so easy to access. What advice do you have for people that for where finances really does play into what they can choose to eat? Right. One thing that I found um is very helpful and and the advice I'm going to give if you told me this 
uh, 10, 15 years ago, I would have been, no, I'm not doing it. (laughs) So (laughs) that block, that wall would have come up. So I expect that wall to come up. I'm number one, I, it's finances and I'm too busy to cook for myself. Um, There is absolutely a way. In fact, I'm, I, I do uh, meals for my mother who's 90 and I, um, she's on a very limited budget. And I actually, yesterday I went to the store and I, I bought carrots and, um, I did what I could to stay in her budget. Some things organic, some things not. And I, I brought everything home and I batch cooked. Um, she's going to have soup and she's going to have some pot roast. She's going to have, you know, all these different things. Um, for many, many meals. And the the aspect of what I realized, you can actually waste so much money on these foods that have no nutrients that you're actually hungrier. You actually end up eating more. Once you start eating nutrient-dense food and changing and modifying, starting adding those things in, you don't have the cravings. You won't be going for all that junk food that's in the center of the store. So being willing to start, I would start by adding, maybe it's one vegetable a week, say I'm going to invest in this, and then I'm going to start to remove the ramen. Because the ramen has no value, your body can't use it, you know, and um, anyway, and so um when I looked at it that way, even in my own journey was what value am I giving my body? And also what's the expense on the other side? If I continue to eat this packaged literal garbage, anxiety, prediabetes, weight problems, sleep problems, all of those things. So my advice is, is to start to, you know, maybe it's a soup. You want to practice making a soup. You can go ahead and do that um, and batch cook it. It'll save you so much money. Those are really, really good ideas. And I know I used to on Sundays, you know, at Sunday afternoon, I would cook like two or three meals to kind of get mm-hmm. me from through my really hard days mm-hmm. where I knew I wasn't going to be home till 630 at night so that I could have something there just to, you know, to pick up. Mm-hmm. And And I think that getting creative that is one thing that really helped me. And I probably, you you go the minimal with the spices. I probably mm-hmm. I probably went the extreme with the spices. <laughs> but, it. but it was just a way to be creative. I mean, you yeah. know, how can you eat a baked chicken breast? Four different ways. Well, yeah. you know, lemon, yeah. pepper, and garlic one night. There's ways to do it. Yeah, and I, I think the other thing that helped me as well was realizing what portion sizes was I actually eating. And I realized I was eating just way too much. You know, I was thinking that of that that quality, the quality of vegetables, the quality meats and things like that, I was still eating the same amount as my husband, who's six foot two. And he there's no and so I had also changed my view of how much my body really needed. So when I when I started modifying number one, the food, but also the quality of the food, but also realizing when I'm eating quality, I don't need as much. And and number yeah, I should not be eating the same amount as him. <laughs> it's just not <laughs> so, you know, and and honoring that part really, you know, I look at the budget we have 
uh, we spend less on food probably than we did, you know, um, uh, how do I want to say it? Um, even though there's two of us, but when we weren't eating well, I believe we spent a lot more. Yeah. So because we buy convenience food, we buy things yeah. that are quick and that are easy, yeah. or we know well the kids will love it. Um, yeah. But we don't ask ourselves, what's it going to do the kids' gut? Um, yeah. Because, yep. you know, the gut is a second brain. I honestly mm-hmm. do believe that. Yeah. So, you know, the, a lot social life, a lot of our social life revolves around food. Mm-hmm. And, you know, come over for dinner. Let's go get Mexican food. Let's meet for pizza. So mm-hmm. how do you, you kind of kind of make a shift in, in sometimes your friends thinking too. Real quickly, give us some advice on that. Yeah, so what I, at first it was very hard. I felt like I was the thorn sticking out of everybody saying I can't have this or that. But what I realized was I can find things on the menus that my body feels good on. I also know that like with pizza, I love pizza, you know, but I used to eat it every week. Now it's just, now it's just a really fun thing we do, you know, every couple months, um, Mexican food. I look for something that I, I know it's high in sodium and I know now my body will bloat out on all that salt. So I, I look for something that's still got great flavor. That's, you know, not one of the items that I can't, you know, that um, was going to have higher sodium. So I've learned to, you know, set those boundaries for myself where there's no stress. I can still be with my friends, um, go out to do things and, um, you know, splitting meals too with my, with my husband helps a lot. We don't need to eat all of that anyway. Um, but also, it's instead of it being an all-the-time thing, when I do have it, I savor it. I eat it mindfully. I enjoy it. Um, and, yeah. you know, basically, um, the other times at the, of the week, I'm eating food that I've made. And you enjoy that as well, I'd bet. Yes. Yes. I love knowing what's in my food, um, to be yeah. honest. It, I feel like I have control now of what's going to happen when I put something in my mouth, chew it and swallow it. Gosh, that's, that is a good feeling. I mean, I always Mm -hmm. tell people, they ask my advice on different diets. And my advice is if you can pick up a can or a box, it's processed. If you can't pronounce everything that's in Mm -hmm. the can or the box, walk away. No, no, no. Run away. Exactly. We're going to take a little break, but stay with us. When we come back, we've got all kinds of advice on how to get you started on your personal journey. We'll be back after these messages. It's words you never heard. Don't you just hate it when someone starts a sentence by saying, don't take this the wrong way, but... According to Elizabeth Bernstein of the Wall Street Journal, we all do this on occasion. Some people refer to these phrases as tee-ups. That seems fitting. What do you do with a golf ball? You tee it up and then give it a giant wallop. Tee-ups like, to tell you the truth, supposedly soften the blow. But if you are taking the trouble to announce your honesty now, maybe you've been telling too many teradiddles, flummery, and fiblets. Being on the wrong side of a tee-up can be confusing for the listener. What are other words for confusion and frustration? Wouldn't dream and jargoggle. Maybe it would be best to try to remain pricknickety. That means totally above board and precise. It's words you never heard. 
I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my new app, Too Funny for Words. I woke up this morning only to discover I was all out of coffee. Big Miss Kabobble. Without my morning cup of joe, I get a bad case of the molly grubs. So what can you do when you run out of coffee? Well, a one-ounce milk chocolate bar has six milligrams of caffeine. Thank goodness for leftover Halloween candy. Did you know apples are more efficient than caffeine in keeping people awake in the morning? Acorns were used as a coffee substitute during the American Civil War. I was feeling so brickety, I drove down to the local coffee shop. As I was getting out of the car, I realized I was still in my pajamas. Thank goodness for drive through coffee. What's the word for the cardboard holder they put around your coffee cup so it's not too hot to hold? A zarf. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. We're back. Now here is your host, Lee Richardson. We're back, and we've talked a lot about the different ways that we have a relationship with food. And, you know, we think about sometimes I'll go to bed at night thinking about what I'm going to eat the next day or thinking about, wow, last month I had the best. Oh, it was so good, you know, the best (laughs) Mexican food. And so, but we don't, it's like with everything that I, I talk with my clients about, stay in the present. Don't get lost in the past thinking about what you said two weeks ago don't you know don't worry about what's going to happen a month from now and it's the same thing with with your mental health your physical health and your your relationship with food you've got to be mindful you've got to be able to stay in the present and I think the hardest thing for me when I come in late at night I am so hungry I'll if my husband's out of town I'll grab it and literally, I don't even sit down when I eat. I stand mm-hmm. up and then I'm done. I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'm done. Um, I certainly wasn't in the present. Yep. Yeah. And and uh, like you and I were talking on the break, it was it's like I've sat there when I'm not present with my food and I'll look down and it's all gone. The plate's empty and and my brain's like, where's my food? And I'm like, well, you just ate it. It's in your stomach. You didn't even taste it. You ate it so fast. And then I'll tend to go back and get more because I missed out on all the pleasure associated with that should come from that meal, you know? And so, so yeah, so mindfulness while eating really, really helps. And it can actually make eating a lot of fun, um, you know, and the experience of eating, a lot more enjoyable. So tell us how we can be mindful while we eat. Right. So, oh, there's so many ways you can do it. Um, um, in the book, I, I talk about an experience eating out with friends at a restaurant, you know, to where you actually go in and you, you, you look around, you look at your environment, you know, what, what does the table look like? Are the linens nice? You know, do you even like being there? you know, are, you know, being present where you are. Um, and then, you know, as you pick your food, um, or you read the food on the, on the menu, what are the responses your body gives you 
or your mind? Are you salivating? Are you like, ew, I don't want that, you know? But once you start, it's really interesting. Once you start, um, re, you know, realizing you're eating, your digestion process already starts. And even as you're cooking, say, at home. And so I say, well, you know, really pay attention. Like, what's your body doing as you're even looking at the food? As you order it, um, you know, being present with the server, you know, they bring you the food. You, what's the plate look like? You know, how is it? How is the food laid out on the plate? You know, who maybe put it on there? You know, how much effort went into that? And then before you even eat anything, you know, how's everybody else doing at the table? Paying attention there. But then think about what's this going to taste like? And then when you take that first bite, let it savor on your tongue chew it, pay attention. Can you figure out the spices, you know, um, all of those things. And, you know, it's really fun to do with others too. Can they find the spices? Can they figure it out? And then um, see how well you can chew that food before you swallow and pay attention with each bite. And so even putting down your fork in between or your spoon or whatever it is you're using, if you can put it down, um, your brain's going to want to like just go at it, but see if you can put it down because your digestion, number one, will work so much better. Number two, you'll get, you'll actually find out that you're full sooner than you would have if you rushed your meal. It takes, what, 20 minutes, I believe, to get that signal from the stomach to the brain that you're full. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, a lot of us are, we've already eaten, you know enough to feed three people probably in that time. And that's when you just feel, you feel awful, right? So it's just that, that really, you know, mindfulness, it doesn't have to be a Zen thing or you're, you're, you know, in an um state of mind. It's about being present, truly tasting, truly enjoying the meal. And, um, and then listening to your body's response and honoring it when it says, okay, we're good. You don't need to send anything else down. And, and sometimes that might mean, I know for me, if I go to certain restaurants, I, there's, we have a great Mexican restaurant up here. I've gone to it since 1979. And I know there's one meal, if I ever order it, I need them to bring me the to-go container right away. So I can just get that off my plate before I eat, you know, because I love it so much. But then I get excited oh my gosh, I can have this again tomorrow for lunch. You know, if I didn't eat it all in one night and then feel awful physically and then upset with myself because I overate. So eating mindfully is just really, and even at home, as you cook, you can even, you know, set the table nice for yourself. Um, talk, you know, with whoever you're dining with. Um, have fun, again, make it a fun um, concept of how to eat and um, put the tent, put uh, phones away, turn off the television, um, and just enjoy that time because then your brain's excited. It got to it got to taste everything. Even like with a dessert, it's interesting if you eat your dessert really slow and let that flavor go all over your tongue, you will probably be very surprised that you'll be satisfied with less, which will save you money. It'll save you calories <laughs> and you won't, you know, you won't feel awful by eating too much. So there's lots of benefits. So we know, it really fun. 
one of the things that I know I grew up eat everything on your plate. Yeah. You know, come on, yeah. you've got to eat everything on your plate. Of course, with my mom, it wasn't everything on your plate. It was all your all your vegetables. Um, Ew. <laughs> yeah. But but I think so many of us think that we do need to eat everything on our plate, and we don't. No, we don't. And one thing too that helps um, is when you start to figure out. Uh, and again, my brain. I thought I was going to starve when I started eating the portion sizes that were appropriate to me. And I actually would panic when I looked at my plate thinking, this isn't going to be enough. And so I just said, well, let's just try it and we'll, you know, we'll be all right, you know, and, and, um, if after you've eaten mindfully and you've really savored your, your meal and you believe that you are still hungry, you can always go back for a second. So one of my, things I like to do to calm that eat everything on my plate is I put smaller portions on my plate. So I satisfy that, that little, you know, subconscious thing from when we grow up. But, um, well, you, too, know, and you know, we can use a smaller plate. Yep. We don't have to use, yep. I mean, yep. the size of plates today are huge. They are. Yep. You know, and, and, and like all the meals, if we really think about it, um, there's what's the movie called Supersize Me, I think it was, where you know, if we look at um, big gulps, soda, um, the hamburgers, the the McDonald's meals, um, if you one thing that really helped me out is I figure what my stomach's maybe the size of my fist, maybe. And I look at everything that I'm about to eat and I'm going to and, and granted, the stomach expands. But all of that's got to fit in there. Does that make sense? You know, and and when I finally started realizing, okay, there's my stomach. I got to get all. Wait a second. I finally realized. Okay, I I was definitely overeating, and um, and trying to get past that supersize me where the more is the better. Uh, more for less money is better. You know. Well, I like that visual. You know, yeah. your stomach is about the size of your fist. Yeah, I believe so. Let me, I'll double check that. It might be even smaller than that. Well, um, I'll have to go enough. Just, we'll just leave it at the side. I have to go back to my body. It might, yeah, it's, it's not that big. And, and granted, it has the ability to stretch, but how much do we need to stretch it, right? And, um, and that's when I'm it. sitting here looking at my fist, I'm holding it tight. And mm-hmm. as I open it, it then, I mean, it gets bigger, but mm-hmm. yeah, it that's doesn't a- double in size. Yeah. So something to think about. And granted, you know, when we when we chew, we compress. That's the other thing. When we chew a lot, chew each bite a lot, it's going to help our stomach. It's going to help every part of that digestion um, absorb the nutrients better. It'll help prevent um, acid reflux. Um, you know, mindful eating can help you stop overeating so that you don't have food coming, you know, that acid coming back up into your, into your esophagus and things like that. Um, there's so many benefits outside of dieting to eat mindfully and to live mindfully. Like you said, being present. Once you get in the right headspace, you get in your head about, okay, this is the way I need to be eating. This is the way I don't need to be eating. Then, you know, and you start thinking about what you eat, picking your food. Then, you know, I'll never forget. I have a great group fitness instructor and and she says it over and over and over. Abs are made in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, and there's so much about 
um, you know, we've been sold and marketed to, you know, so many ways. Um, and in terms of the food industry, <clears throat> excuse me, and, um, you know, sold what we should be eating. And um, I believe we just lost connection with what real food is um, as time has progressed with with this whole concept of making, oh, you shouldn't be in the kitchen. You shouldn't have to do that, you know, and buy this frozen meal, which I was, again, at the store yesterday seeing, is there anything like that my mom can just pop in the freezer? And I looked at the labels and the first thing I'll check is sodium and sugar. And, and it was like, I had to keep putting them all back. The sodium content is so high in processed foods and things like that. And so, but we're sold that that's going to be good for us or, you know, even check your canned soups. It's horrible. The sodium levels. And they'll say, yes. Yeah. And they'll say low sodium, but that's compared to that manufacturer's high, high sodium. It's still high sodium. And so that's where if you, if you can take the time, you know, even get like an Instapot or a Crock-Pot or pressure cooker. I had that vegetable soup made in no time yesterday. And I, not a recipe, I just tossed the meat in. I sauteed it with, with the garlic and onion powder. And then I tossed in some um, water because I made a broth. And then I did, all I did was carrots, um, carrots, um, tomato, um, celery. And it's incredible with no salt at all. And it tastes amazing. So much better than what you could ever buy in a can. Oh, absolutely. There's uh, salt, something that is so much of it in everything already. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and that's the hard part. When we buy products, we, we, we lose our ability to choose the sodium, the, so, you know, the sodium, the sugar, the additives, the preservatives. And, um, also, that's the other benefit of going on your journey, because when you're mindful, you also also you'll realize, gosh, when I ate this, my heart rate goes through the roof or my stomach's pounding and feels terrible. And suddenly your brain starts associating pain with that food item and it starts to override what, you know, the taste buds are saying, you know, oh, I want, you know, for me, it was runs, I runs in Skittles, I couldn't get past a Rite Aid without running in there and getting a huge box and eating all of it in one sitting. I would feel horrible, but I, I was still in that mindset. Well, my body can handle it. You know, it should just should suck it up. And finally, my brain started making this connection. This behavior is causing this to happen. You don't feel anxious. You don't have anxiety. You're not paranoid when you when you don't eat that stuff. Whoa, you know, and I'm like, wow. <laughs> and so, so when I look at food now, I know when I, if I choose, choose to make a choice to one day, I might say, oh, you know, I haven't had those in a long time. I'm going to try some. I know there's going to be repercussion <laughs> for it. And somehow I'll feel terrible, but it solidifies it to me. I'm like, yeah, you know, that stuff makes me feel this way. It makes me think this way. It, you know, it, it, it doesn't support me in any way possible. So the reward now, my brain is, my reward is to keep walking past it. <laughs> well, it. <laughs> I mean, when you think about everything that you've, you've dumped into your body, I mean, when I 
first stopped eating processed food, I was like, I have to detox. I mean, yeah. I, I honestly have to eat detox. And I noticed that I had so much more energy when I started, when I stopped eating processed foods. Mm. I, you know, I felt like that I slept better. Just life yep. was better. Yeah, I sleep better. And, and that's where, again, that journaling, if, 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 if we can all journal more as not a, it's not a punishment to say, oh my gosh, look at how horrible I was. It's more of, let's write this down. What did I eat? How am I feeling? What is my, what are my thoughts? You know, do I feel clear? Do I feel like I've got energy to go, you know, exercise and move my body? Because that's the other thing. You, if you eat it, if we eat a certain way, it doesn't support us. We have no energy to go and move our body, which we need to move our body to help create more energy. It's like this, it's all connected. It, we need to um, eat foods that support our brain for our career so we can manage our finances, so we can, you know, have great relationships, so we can, you know, be creative, do some, you know, um, if if we can all look at our plates, that this is incredible information that we're putting in to create an incredible response from ourselves, it changes things versus looking at a plate and saying, I don't care, you're just going to, I'm just going to eat it, you know, and, and not paying attention. So anyway, I, I just get excited about it. I really... I love it when when people can make that connection and they start to feel better. They start to realize it. And and um, the other one thing I write about in the book, too, is about caramel popcorn. When I was young, my mom would pop this big thing of popcorn and then she'd put butter on it and then melt craft caramels all over it. And oh, oh my, my gosh, that sounds good. <laughs> the best thing on the planet. Right. So I. I instilled that in with my kids, except we did it a lot. And, um, but I realized that I always felt sick. You know, I always felt sick after popcorn, even when it didn't have all of that on it. And I'd wake up with a popcorn hangover, you know, and try and go to school, all of that. And, but what I realized now, when I think that I want that caramel popcorn, I immediately flashed to this memory of all of me, my siblings, my parents sitting watching the scary black and white horror movies, you know, that were out back then and just the fun time we had. And so, again, that was the association was, oh, I can recreate that same memory with something that's not going to make us all feel sick, you know, and then every now and then we'll make it, you know, but we savor every bite instead of all of us trying to you know, because there was five of five kids at the time trying to grab as much as we could. Because <laughs> we knew we knew if we didn't get ours, we wouldn't we wouldn't uh, you know have a fair share. But but now if I make it, it's very mindful and I love it. I appreciate it. I don't eat as much um, much of it. Um, and uh, so that goes to the thing too of not feeling deprived. Um, if you have something that's been in your family, it's a tradition, um, you know, can you make it so that it's a little bit more nutritious? Can you make it so that it's not as often if it's something that doesn't support you? But when you do make it, you really embrace that meal and you really enjoy the company around that meal. 
um, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. That makes sense. I mean, so many of my holiday memories, like Thanksgiving, the um, when I I had a head concussion, I was in ICU. And when I came out, my boys were two. They were twins. And they told me, you've lost your sense of smell. And I thought, well, I have two year old boys. If I have to lose a sense, I can live with that. Who cares? You know, (laughs) you know, you have to smell something before you can taste it. Yeah. And. And all I can remember, it, so I started just, you know, Paces Bacani, Cholua. I spiced everything up so, so much so that I could taste it. And then when I found neurofeedback for my son, um, I did it and I got my, my sense of smell back. And it was like a gift. Yeah. I just, yeah. you know, just smelling a chocolate chip mm-hmm. cookie or smelling a, just anything a lime you know when you think of thanksgiving all i think about is i can't tell you what anybody wore i can't even tell you where they sat but i can tell you what we ate absolutely (laughs) and i love that that's part of too the mindful part is like smell your food before you eat it and you know and again it's just we don't have to not enjoy food to be healthy no you know yeah. But aren't you surprised at how many people that can't read a food label? And they can. They absolutely can. Yeah. But they're intimidated by it. And I've been one of those people. So I speak from not. Me too. Me I mean, too. I, I, I didn't want to have to do it. I shouldn't have to do it. That was what I was. I don't want to do it. I'm too busy. I'm going to read the front of the box. And that's it. And, um, and when well, I, I just made the decision that if I couldn't pronounce it, it was yeah. no good. And I yeah. couldn't pronounce most of it. So, yeah. And I didn't want to have to turn the box around. I was just, I was a piece of work. <laughs> I was like, well, you know, we've got a few minutes left. And one of the things I want to talk is about is stress. Because when we get, there's four things that puts that brain into a dysregulated state genetics, physical, emotional trauma, and stress. And when we get stressed out, where do most of us go? To the kitchen. Mm hmm. Yep. A lot of, a lot of people go to the kitchen and I used to do that too. And, um, and, and it's a, it is, it's a form of comfort. I think it's in our, it's gotta be in our DNA that we want to do something with our hands and our mouth when we're stressed or, or sad or, or something like that, you know, looking for comfort outside of ourselves, something to, to handle that. And so, yeah, so the stress, stress eating, um, um, that's when your mindfulness skill can really kick in when you're stressed. And um, we can try all day long to um, cover it with something else. But one thing I learned was I really had to figure out what was the stress, what was the stressor that I was, you know, what was causing it and learn how to either remove that, manage it, look at it differently. Um, so that I would no longer stress drink or stress eat. Well, and we all, you know, we're, we can feel when we're stressed out. We can feel, mm-hmm. I can look at somebody in their shoulders or up around their ears, you know, yeah. or they're, or they're clenching their teeth or mm-hmm. they're, they're the way that they're standing, you know, you, you, body language will tell us when they're, when they're really stressed out. But and on that, you know, it's just food and the relationship Whenever I'm so blessed, I'm a healthy lady, 
And as a little kid, I was very healthy. And when I would get sick, my mom would make me a baked potato. So mm. every time my kids got sick, what do you think they got to eat? A baked potato. And I got to make you feel so good, you yeah. know. So we've just got a few minutes left. And, and I want, you know, what are your takeaways for people that have listened to the show today? Because you've given them so much good advice. But, you know, just let's give them some takeaways. I think the the biggest one I would love to give is that it's not too late um, to give your body the opportunity to, um, you know, feel, you know, full of vitality. Um, you know, if you're, if you do have a chronic, um, lifestyle disease or illness that you're, you're, you're facing or working through your body is amazing. And, um, so my biggest takeaway is don't give up and, um, commit to learning about you, learning about yourself and taking those, just those small steps. You may have a big goal, but it's just the little small things on a daily basis that when you learn how to do those things and, and understand how your body reacts, it, it, it changes everything for you. Um, so if people are interested in learning more about you, because you do some personal coaching, mm-hmm. you do a lot of things. How do they find you online? How do they find yeah. your books? Yes. Yeah, so the book, uh, Your Personal Journey with Food, you can find it on Amazon as well as um, order it through most independent bookstores um, and major bookstores. Um, so it's pretty much available everywhere. And also um, I have a website tracycromwell.com that you can find me at and then um social media facebook um the same name and instagram and um my email i'll give my email out to your listeners it's it's my first name tracy at Uh, it's t-r-a-c-y uh-huh t-r-a-c-y at tracycromwell.com c-r-o-m is in max w-e-l-l.com and i do do a complimentary you know, health discovery type session with no obligation. So, um, you know, you can always reach out to me and we could set something up and just to talk through things. That is great, Tracy. Thank you so much because sometimes just having someone to talk to about it helps you realize, oh, this is something I really do want to work on. This is this is something that's important to me. And sometimes we just need to know we have a buddy to help us do it. So for yeah. any of you that have questions, it's Tracy, T-R-A-C-Y, and Cromwell, C-R-O-M-W-E-L-L. Tracy, thank you so much for being with me today. I appreciate it. I, now I'm excited about what I'm going to go have for dinner. All right. Thank you. It was so fun being On behalf of Lee Richardson and the Brain Performance Center, we want to thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more episodes like this, visit us on iTunes, Google Play, Toginet, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and thebrainperformancecenter.com. Center.com.